This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we welcome Jim Veltman to the show as the Hall of Famer was named the newest general manager of the New York Riptide. Plus, as we get closer to August 1st in free agency, a lot of NLL teams are locking up their UFAs, and the PLL Championship continues in Utah. All that more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and the NLL Radio Network as well. My name's Teddy Jenner. Thanks for tuning in. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or follow the show on Instagram, OTCB Podcast. It's the end of July or nearing the end of July, which means August 1st is just a few days away. And that means NLL free agency opens up. And while the Rush have done a nice job securing Corbeil, Dilks, and Rubish, there are still some big unrestricted free agents unsigned, which could lead to some heavy dominoes falling come August 1st. And just because I like to see the world burn sometimes, I really hope some of the rumored moves that I've heard do come true. And you have to look at some of those names that are on the free agency list just to try to get an idea of who might be moving. Corey Small is a UFA. Reese Dutch is a UFA. Callum Crawford is a UFA. So there are some names out there that could be on the move. Steph LeBlanc is another one. Does he stay in New England? Does Crawford stay in New England? But while other teams are trying to comb through the free agent list and see who's out there, other teams have been doing a heck of a job locking up some of their UFAs to make sure that they stay at home. And we'll get to some of those in a few minutes. As mentioned off the top, we'll hear from Jim Scoop Veltman, the NLL Hall of Famer, as Rich Lisk appointed him the new general manager of the team in one of his first moves as GM, alongside head coach Dan Latasur, was to appoint assistant coaches And they didn't have to go very far in their Rolodex as they acquired Jason Crosby and Pat Jones. Cros will work the O-door. Jonesy will work the back door. And two guys who have been working diligently in Ontario minor lacrosse and even some semi-pro at the ALL and even CELACs when it was around. Uh, Jonesy and Crosby have been waiting for this opportunity, along with Dan Latasur, an opportunity to run their own benches. And I think it is going to be a heck of a triumvirate. Um, There's not a lot of hair on that bench. um, So they won't be losing much hair throughout the stress of their coaching careers. But I love the addition of Cross and Patty Jones. For those that don't know, both uh, were longtime NLLers. Pat Jones, I believe, was the captain of the Portland Lumberjacks for a year or two when they were out on the West Coast. Even that year, they went to Buffalo for the NLL Finals, and Crosby was a bit of a journeyman, played for a few different organizations, uh, Just, but a fantastic offensive mind, and he's really molded himself into a pretty decent O coach. Uh, like I said, coaching out there in Ontario with minor and some junior lacrosse and some, some semi-pro lacrosse as well. So the Riptide have their front office, they have their coaching staff, now they can focus on free agency, like I said, begins on August 1st. They have some bodies they need to lock up in New York as well. Uh, Scott Johnson is a free agent. Pat, jo- uh, Pat Saunders is a free agent as well. I believe they've re-signed Dan Lomas and John Randigan, but don't quote me on that. Uh, but those are some of the names they need to get under contract if they would like to get them under contract. Uh, but again, there's still a lot more names in that free agent list that is out there. 
And if they can get some of those guys signed, if they can convince them to play, then I really do think New York can turn some things around. And when we've talked with Rich Lisk, and we'll talk to Jim Veltman about it, it's all about changing the culture, finding the right people, the right characters, the right personnel, and putting them in positions to have the opportunity to succeed. And so we'll talk a lot about that with Jim Veltman in a little bit. We've got some other things that we need to get to. We'll talk about the PLL kind of on the back half of the show, but there's a lot to talk about from the first few days of the championship series in Utah. Um, If you watch the MLL over the weekend, they had their playoffs wrap up. Boston Cannons beating the Denver Outlaws for the championship, of course. Unfortunately, uh, there were a couple positive tests through coronavirus, so the two other semifinal teams had to withdraw. And so it was kind of a, not lackluster final, we just didn't have the semifinals to build up to that final, but the final was a heck of a game between the Cannons and the Outlaws. So congratulations to everybody on the Cannons who earned that championship. And the PLL, you know, they're going through all their stuff as well. They've had Tucker Durkin test positive. He's gone through some quarantine and some isolation, but he's back. So there's a lot to learn from what the PLL and MLL are doing during these stages. And I really do believe that the NLL is paying close attention to what they are doing for when we get back to playing NLL lacrosse and I still don't know when that is obviously the hope for is January we're all keeping our fingers crossed but that is still a big hope and as it stands now anybody crossing the border back into Canada has to do a two-week self-isolation so if they are traveling for the National Cross League and guys are going back and forth across the border, that's going to create a lot of scheduling issues. So there's still a lot to be worked out. We're, I don't think we're really anywhere close to an NLL season. Like I said, I, I believe January is going to be the earliest they start. But we got other things we got to get through. The draft, free agency. Uh, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that a 15th team Uh, Expansion team is going to come shortly off the heels of the Fort Worth announcement last week. So there's lots to talk about. One of the biggest news items that came out this week, though, is where we'll start. And I I don't want to go too deep into it because we still don't know what the final outcome of all this is going to be. But the Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League has granted 22-year-olds a fifth year. If you haven't turned 22 by January 1st, you are allowed to play in the Ontario Junior A League. And it's going to be the only Junior A League right now, as it stands in Canada, that is going to allow 22-year-olds to play. So what that does for national championships, essentially is going to take the Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League, out of the Minto. Because allowing 22-year-olds to play is not a CLA rule, nor is it an OLA rule. It is just a stipulation manufactured by the Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League. Now, you might be scratching your head saying, well, why would they do that? Well... Obviously, everything that happened through COVID, they're trying to find a way to give some of those kids their fifth year. According to the press release, they are trying to move with the sports demographic and how things are manifesting through sports. But it is going to change a lot. And there are speculated rumors that this is going to cause a rift and a separation between Ontario Junior A Lacrosse and the Ontario Lacrosse Association. 
And if they are unable to play for the Minto, that would just leave Alberta and BC eligible to play. Because as it stands right now, those two provinces and, and leagues are sticking with the rules of 21 and that's it. So if the Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League steps away from the CLA and OLA, yes, they are going to give a lot of those kids an extra year, but now all of those kids will be unable to play for a Minto Cup. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I think it's great that those kids get that fifth year back and get a chance to play with their buddies and their best friends for one more time. But they're not going to be able to play for the championship that they all seek and they all battle for. So, I'm still not sure how I feel about it. I think the idea of creating a national junior league is exciting. I think the idea of playing that National Junior League with National Lacrosse League rules is imperative. And I know there are people, and there's technically now sort of two groups of people, who are trying to start Junior Lacrosse Leagues and trying to do what they feel is best for Junior Lacrosse in Canada. But this is when we get to a point where we are constantly pulling on different ends of the rope instead of working together. This Ontario ruling is going to have a major effect on the landscape of lacrosse, junior lacrosse in Canada. Because if it's just junior A, you may see a lot of kids play junior B and try and compete for a Founders. Especially if those Junior A kids can't play for a Minto. I like the idea of a national junior program. Just like junior hockey. But I think we're a far, we're still not there yet. Because there are so many things that go into creating a junior league like that. You have to convince kids to move. You have to convince kids to relocate for the summer. And a lot of those kids are going to be kids who are spending nine months of the year in the U.S. going to college. And then they're going to come back home and they're going to have to relocate for the summer. Those kids are never going to spend any time at home. It's a weird, weird aspect of lacrosse right now. Again, I have been preaching for something like this for a long time, but we can't just have people going rogue and trying to do things on their own because it's not going to help us get anywhere. I don't know the end result of this move by the Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League. They're trying to work together with the Ontario Lacrosse League Referees Association. They're trying to work together with the National Lacrosse League. But they are ostracizing themselves from the rest of the competition that they play for. And if the holy grail of Junior A is to win a Mento Cup, now all these kids that are part of these Junior A programs aren't going to have an opportunity to play for that Mento Cup. So what's a fifth year if you can't play for the end goal? I'm very interested to see how this all plays out. We're going to keep you updated on it all. We'll try to connect with some of the people that are involved in all of this. But just stay tuned. There's a press release put out today by the Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League. So you can go online to Twitter and read about it. Have your say. There are some people who are for it. There are some people who are against it. There's me who I'm still kind of right in the middle. I just don't know. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Because this isn't the last that we will hear of this. 
because it's going to create a major ripple effect across the country. So stay tuned. The other news of the week came last week when the 14th team in the National Lacrosse League was announced, and that is down in Fort Worth, Texas. We don't know the names. There's obviously been rumored of Panthers, Herd, Stampede. Those are all options. I don't know which one I like the best, which one I like the least. But what I do like is that the ownership group is already starting a rivalry with Calgary. During the media call, I believe it was Greg Bibb, one of the majority owners of the team, when asked about the culture of the National Cross League and what he liked and, and what he was looking forward to, one of the first thing he said was that he looks forward to his team playing the Calgary Roughnecks because there is an, there's already an established rivalry of the best cowboy city and western city and stampede city so when they haven't even got a name colors head coach gm any of that stuff when the owners are already trying to start that kind of rivalry that makes me excited but as i mentioned a few a few times on the show before there are going to be some hurdles that this team has to go through they're going to be centrally, so centrally located in the United States. I have a feeling it might be hard, a little hard to get guys to relocate there. Don't quote me on that, but, you know, it's, it's always been a thing for the National Crossing to have guys in market and for a place like Fort Worth that has a small on the grand scale of things, box community or indoor community, I think they're going to need all the help of guys in market doing stick-to-school programs out there in the community, showing the game and getting to know the locals and the, and the fans and the crowds and all that. They're going to need people in market to do that. That is going to be a, a struggle for them. But... They have like 16 to 18 months before they actually will have to play their first game. They have a lot of runway so they can slowly start to go about this. And I really hope that they take their time. They don't rush into any decisions and make sure that they put their best foot forward with every step they take. Kind of like I said earlier, there's... There's some rumblings that Team 15 may not be far behind. And so we'll have to keep our eyes and ears peeled for that one as the National Lacrosse League looks to expand. And if you if you heard some of the comments from the commissioner and if you when we had Jessica Berman on the show last week or two weeks ago, they want to get to 16 teams and they want to get to four divisions. And so that leads me to believe now that we have Fort Worth as 14, 15 and 16 in my opinion, need to be Western-ish teams to balance things out. Because we're at 14 right now, so I believe we're, what, 9 and 5? No. 8 and 6? So we're still a little uneven? So we need to continue to put some teams out West. I think Vegas, I think Mini, I think Edmonton, Winnipeg. Those are the four top spots on my market. Even throw Portland in there. If the National Lacrosse League really wants to get to 16 and go four divisions, I think they have that opportunity. They just need to continue to add teams on the West. And then you really can create geographical divisions. So, again, keep your eyes and ears peeled for Team 15 coming soon to a city near you. Jim Veltman has played in a city near me. He was a member of the Victoria Shamrocks back in 2003, but he's an NLL Hall of Famer and one of the greats our game has ever seen. He's been coached and mentored by some of the greatest, and he's going to take a lot of those lessons and learnings and put them in his back pocket as he takes control of his first ever professional team. 
He is the newest general manager of the New York Riptide. He is Jim Scoop Veltman right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by a legend, one of the greatest ever to play our game, and now stepping into a new role as the general manager of the New York Riptide. Number 32 retired to the Raptors by the Toronto Rock, a Hall of Famer, and one of my great friends and teammates. He's Jim Veltman. Scoop, how are you, buddy? Very good, Teddy. It's good to catch up with you again. This is great. It has been quite a long time. I think the last time we talked, uh, Rich Liska just brought you on to be a part of the New York Black Wolves staff. Now we speak again when he's brought you on as part of the Riptide staff. How does it feel to be back in the National Lacrosse League? Well, it always feels good, right? It's an honor. I mean, this is, in my opinion, the best lacrosse league in the world. Um, when you win a championship, you really deserve it, even though, you know, you'd love to see the playoffs go to a, a best-of series. But it's one of the hardest trophies to win just because of the parity in the league. And I like the fairness of the league and um, everybody has a fair playing field. And, you know, I couldn't be more thrilled to be part of the league and also part of this organization. I mean, Rich and I have a bit of a history in New England when I was there for a couple of years, assistant coach. So I was thrilled when he, uh, when he gave me the call. We're going to get into that conversation uh, that you and Rich had and how we got to this point. But what the heck have you been up to? Because you are a man of worldly travels. You and your wife get out with the kids quite a bit. But where have you been since you've left the National Lacrosse League? Uh, yeah, well, we, uh, I decided to take a leave of absence for a year from my work. I'm a teacher, a high school teacher. I took a leave of absence um, so we could take our kids on a, on a trip, a big trip. We... Um, we did a lot of countries in Europe through house exchanges, through work programs where you volunteer to work in exchange for room and board. We did that. So we were gone all together for a three-month excursion that included two months in Europe and also a month in Africa where my wife and I spent some time about 25 years ago. We actually went back to the place that we were at. And believe it or not, there were still people there that we knew from 25 years ago we actually stayed with a lady who we've been in contact with uh, ever since. She's doing some amazing charity work, so we help her with that. Um, but, yeah, you know what? Something to show your kids where you're at in your past is uh, is always something special. And they were at an age where it was a good age to do it. I mean, they're now they're 19 and 21, so back then it was uh, 17 and 19. So um, it was a great family trip, great bonding time. Um, so we like, yeah, we like to do those kinds of unusual things. Well, was that the, the place where you at, where you had to fax Johnny Meridian that you would actually play in the, uh, <laughs> M-I-L-L back in the day? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We went right back to the same town. I, I, <laughs> the post office is still there. The uh, fax machine, I'm not sure. I didn't go in and check if it worked, but, uh, yeah, that was a funny story because, uh, in Uganda, they have specific roles in different. Uh, places like a post office or a bank or whatever so the guy that did the faxes wasn't there when I needed the fax back and I had to wait like an hour for him to come back from wherever he was but you know the person that helped me at the counter I said well can't you just do it like it's just a matter of throwing the sheet into the fax he said no 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 that's not my job that's somebody else's job so I had to wait so I waited patiently for that so is Dan Latasor going to be allowed to do your job at all during this time? Or is it strictly <laughs> coaching for him? No, I, I think he's coaching. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm obviously thrilled that he was part of the process and, and actually got the position. It was one of the big reasons um, that I took my position was to work with Laddie and to work with Rich. Um, you got to surround yourself with good people in this in this business. And those two are some of the best people I know. So, I'm thrilled and excited to get going with those guys. When I spoke with Rich about the hire, he, he couldn't be more happy to have you alongside him. And, and you said the keywords, good people, good culture, and you create winning attitudes. Um, what kind of mentality are you bringing into this job? Because you are taking over a, a second-year expansion team that went 1-12 in a shortened season. There are a lot of holes to fix. There are a lot of patchwork to be done. But what's your attitude coming into this new endeavor? Uh, well, you know what? It's, it's more of a collective thing in my mind. Like, you know, you got to put all your minds together and we obviously have to assess what we have. And then once you assess what you have, you kind of, uh, come up with a, a needs list and a wants list and 
see if um, other teams are willing to play with you on that. Um, and if they are, great. If not, you just kind of move on. Um, but we're happy with some of the pieces that New York has. But, um, you know, you can't sugarcoat a 1-12 and record. And I know maybe some of those some of those losses could have been wins one way or the other during a game, but you still got to own it. You got to, and I said that in my first call with the players is, um, you know, it's something you got to own. And I mean, it's always disappointing when, when a coaching staff and GM gets fired. So I believe in owning that part too, that as a player, you got to take part responsibility in that. I know when I played and if coaches got fired uh, when I was under their watch, um, I would always call them and just apologize and, and not necessarily like they know what the business is like, but just to say, hey, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, I was a part of this. I mean, I know you're the one who gets let go and I get to stay, but I just want to, you know, let you know that um, I apologize for my part in not getting you to stay. So I think we had to address that right off the hop, and we did that in our for, in our first Zoom call. How have the players taken to you? Because there's probably a lot of those guys in that club, especially some of the Ontario guys, that, maybe were real young kids watching you in those early 2000s with the Toronto Rocks. It's got to be pretty special for them. But how has that organization taken to you? Uh, so far, so good. I mean, player-wise, uh, I you know, I, I got to admit, I was actually on holidays last week, so it wasn't the greatest week to get hired because I was hired on the Friday when we just started our holidays up at the cottage. And then um, we they stayed there for a week, and, and we have spotty – you know, spotty internet, no cell service. It's a pretty remote place. So it wasn't a great place to start a job, but uh, this week I'm kind of going through the process of connecting with the players, talking to them. And, and quite honestly, the first thing I want to do is just to get to know them. Like, who are you? Like, where where do you live? What what kind of job do you have? Uh, you know, you got a girlfriend, wife, do you have kids? Like, do you have pets? Like, you know, just to get to know them on a personal level as opposed to right away getting in there and saying, okay, what's wrong with the team? What do you think? What what improvements do we need to make? Whatever. I, I think, or I believe, you know, I've, I've learned from certain coaches in the past that I think you really got to zone in on, on the player themselves. Who are they and what makes them tick before, uh, before you can get into the X's and O's and some of the details. I know that was a big priority of one of your longtime coaches and mentors and Les Bartley. What do you take from the lessons that you learned from him into this position? Well, quite a bit, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, uh, he was not only a coach of mine, he was a good friend. Uh, you know, I was I was there the day after he died at his house and, you know, um, went to his funeral and all that and um, things that good friends do for each other. And I was trying to be there for his family when he was sick and would visit him in the hospital and so on. But, um, you know, I, he, he was a special man. He uh, actually... <laughs> I had no idea who he was prior to 1992 in Buffalo when we first met. And he was this other guy that was just kind of around the team. He didn't even have a coaching role, to be honest. And then when John Meridian made the move from him to, or sorry, from Buff McCready to him, and all of a sudden you kind of discover, oh, okay, who is this guy? And then it took about a year or two to to really believe in him and, and believe in what he believes in. And, you know, you're, you're hit the nail on the head when you said he's all about relationships he really is and I think that's an important piece of being any general manager or head coach is is that relationship you have with players because quite honestly it's it's a rough and tumble game and if your players are willing to go through the wall for you because they know you care um, I think that's the kind of thing that builds championship teams to be honest it's not just a, a mix or it's not the right mix always or it's it's not, you know, uh, some magical formula. I, I think it's mostly about relationships. Why do you think, as we talked about these relationships that, that Les had with players and the players have with Les, why is it that so many guys that were under Les are coaching and GMs in the league now? And was it just because he had such an impact on those guys and created a, an aura of wanting to give back once he were done? I, I think so. I think that's part of it. I think when you are coached by Les, you realize the potential, your own potential, um, and the potential of the team. And that's pretty exciting to be part of, to be honest. It, it was, I mean, even back then, we, we didn't necessarily have the all-star top five goal scorer in the league and all that kind of – we were a collective group, and um, everybody felt important, from the guy that was sitting out 
to the guy that's at the top of the power play. Like everybody, I think felt important and that's what Les did for you. And, and he always patted you on the back and, you know, said, look, I believe in you. I believe in you, you know, and you start slowly believing in yourself. And, and I think a lot of the coaches um, saw that and, and that's kind of neat, right. To be part of when you're, when you're part of a team sport and you develop a team like that and build a team like that and are part of it. It's uh it's something special. I mean, there's special moments in life, right? Like you, when your kids are born, when you get married, when whatever you get your first car, your first house, but winning a championship's up there too. Like it's mm-hmm. it's pretty unique kind of experience. So um, being part of that, I think, is is what gets some of the guys now who are coaches and have been coached by less. I think that's the reason why they're in it. You also have a few friends in the GM roles across the league. How do you think those relationships with those other general managers is going to help you when it comes time to trading or player evaluations and stuff like that? Well, I don't know if I have to throw in my friendship card every now and then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> no, you know what? I mean, uh, there's kind of like then no BS, right? Because like, yeah. we know each other. Um, so that that kind of works out. And it's not about trying to take advantage of other people. It's more about, okay, how can we make this a win-win situation? Your needs, my needs. Um, how can we make this mesh? Not, you know, how can I pull the wool over your eyes kind of thing. So mm-hmm. obviously having a relationship uh, ahead of time helps in that process. But even with the new GMs that I don't know, I, I look forward to building a relationship. Honestly, a relationship first. And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the way life should work. Um and it, it is if you study like different cultures, like there's indigenous cultures too. It's all about relationships first, and then you can teach me, or then you can negotiate with me, and then you can, you know, learn from me. It's not just right away step in there and say, okay, I got the answers, right? Absolutely. When Richless called you, were you surprised? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, I like I mentioned, I was at uh, my cottage and. Not great cell service, not great internet, um, but a message did come across. Hey, Jimmy, give me a call. Um, obviously, I know Rich. So to be honest, you know what I thought it was? I, I thought he was calling me about, because I knew he was going through the process of um, staffing uh, GM and coaches and so on. So I thought he was calling me about people just because that's what good people do. And I know Rich mm-hmm. is very thorough and he does his homework on people and uh, he's one of the most thorough guys I know when it comes to that. And um, and when he said, hey, just dreaming out there, just wondering, um, you know, are you interested in, in the position? And then once I found out about some of the details and then brought it back to my family, um, it, it became a no-brainer for me. It was like, hey, look, he's a good person. You know, he's thinking about Laddie as, as one of the coaches um, it fits with my family life. So it, it became like an opportunity I just couldn't pass up, and I'm very grateful for that. And was was, was Laddie the next call, or was Laddie already on board, do you think? Uh, I think he was close, but because we're close friends, I yeah. mean, obviously um, I, w- I wanted his kind of endorsement, so to speak, and he probably wanted mine. So we kind of did that for each other because we both, weren't sure uh it wasn't finalized rich was honest and he said look i got other candidates i'm just wondering and you know what it's like right you, you want to kind of cast a net and see what it catches and then go through the detail process right so um and i know rich and i know he does that kind of thing so yeah so with laddie and i it was more of uh texting like a friendship thing at that point still and and just hey just so you know what do you think you know, about the possibility of working together and things like that. And then uh, one thing led to another and we couldn't be more thrilled. Obviously uh, assistant coaches haven't been announced yet, but that will come along the way. But obviously a big focus for you will be August 1st, free agency, the draft coming up in September. When you look at this roster that you guys have, uh, there are some strong points. There are some holes. What do you think the biggest need for you as a general manager is? Well, I, Laddie and I believe from, you know, building from the net out. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to look at our goalie situation and assess that. Um, and if we're happy with it, we'll stay. And if we're not, we'll, we'll try to bring in people there. But goalies don't grow on trees. It's not that easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whipper's honest, not available, is he? Whipper's not. Yeah, he's out of commission now. Yeah. 
I should have gave him a call already, to be honest, <laughs> just in case he wanted one more year. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's that. And then there's the defense because you can still win games in this league if you've got a solid defense. So, mm-hmm. and defense is the next priority. And then, and then we're going to look at the offense. So we're going through that assessment process now. Um, and, and while we do it, we're going to be finding some holes and we're going to address those as best we can. But, and free agency, to be honest, is, is a quick way to address things. But do we want to be quick? Or do we want to kind of build something where players can play together for a few years? Um, but you're also under the pressure of selling tickets because it's a very ticket-driven league as far as revenue goes. So you've got that added pressure that, okay, well, we can't continue to be 1-12 in 12 for years on end and expect people to still come to the building. So, you know, there's all kinds of things and pressures that, that go uh, with this job. And I'm up for the challenge. Um and and but we'll need some help along the way, and we'll see how things work out. Are you planning on relocating to New York? Are you, New York? Are you going to stay home and uh, enjoy the Ontario life still? Yeah, no, I'm I'm staying here. I still have full time job. I'm a teacher yeah. uh, at a high school, so I'm uh, I'm staying here. I have um, about four years left before I can retire with an unreduced pension, so I'm interested in that and in, in staying with that. Uh, I've done many years up to now, so it, it would seem unwise to all of a sudden quit that. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of my plan. And uh, Rich assures me I can do a lot of this job remotely, and, and I plan to do that. And, but, of course, I know myself. I, I like to get involved. I like to be around. I like to do those things as well. And as long as they fit into my life, uh, I'll be there as much as I can. Rich often talks about, changing the culture and not that it wasn't a bad culture in that first year but it needs a, a fresh look and a, and a kick in the pants to get you guys going again what kind of culture do you want to bring to this organization well again i first want to preface it with relationships right like it's, mm-hmm. it's really important to develop relationships with players and players with other players and again it's that whole go through the wall for your teammate kind of mentality um that we have to create and sometimes it's hard with new teams, right? Because a lot of times you're dealing with rookies or or first or second year players or, or players have been bounced around a bit. And so sometimes confidence is a bit of an issue. So we'll have to build confidence with players and assure them that, you know, they earn their right to be here. Um, but then again, it, it is about earning your right, right? It's not um, you're here just because, because you're a name. Or, or if you think you've arrived because you're in the NLL, that's that's the wrong attitude because you know I always believed in you're only as good as your last game and that's the way it works. I mean it's a results-based business. We're not playing recreational lacrosse or we're not playing for our hometowns where we're basically guaranteed spots. It, this is about winning and and uh, players will have to realize that and they'll they'll realize that because I think Laddie and I will bring that and then um, I think a lot of the culture will fall in place that once you get that winning attitude and that refuse to lose kind of attitude, um, then I, then I think things can happen. Um, Austin Owens wants me to ask, who's your favorite Ajax rock staff member? <laughs> uh, it'd be Steve Gillespie. Yeah. That, that was a good group you guys had there. They were, that, that Ajax group was, you know, uh, an organization that was trying to find footing, much like New York, yeah. and, and they kind of had off to a bit of a slow start. What do you learn from those days with Ajax, and even maybe your time coaching in Europe, where you're starting with with new programs and having them to get them on the right trajectory? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're dealing with, like I said, you're you're dealing with a lot of new players. I mean, the thing I like about the NLL is it's a fair playing field. Everybody has a salary cap. Everybody has, you know, so many players and and a lot of players, if if it's the right fit, will come to your team. And um, where a lot of you know the Ajax Pickering, to be honest, we it was tough. It was really tough because you yeah. know you're playing the the teams that have money and can pay players, and you're not. And you know how do you <laughs> how do you compete in that world? It was it was tough and at times frustrating, you know. Um, but again, I I tried to find loopholes in. Okay, so. You know, if we don't have the best players, what are the ways we can win? Well, it's through transition. So I was, you know, really encouraging players to transition the ball as much as possible because five on five, we don't have near the lineup that these other guys do. So how are we going to beat them? Well, you know, you can run faster than that team. 
you know, those kinds of things that we're going to have to be creative and think about. So uh, we may have to be a bit creative and think about those things in the first couple of years here too, before we get our footing in. Um, but again, we're, we're going to try to expedite that process as fast as possible because I think the fans of New York and Long Island deserve it. I was talking with Brad Self last week on the show and, and just talking about how general managers will be scouting teams and looking at players as we work towards the draft and free agency. Obviously, these kids coming out of junior and college, there is some tapes on them, but it's not like we can go and watch them live during Mintos and Founders and things like that. So how are you and your staff um, focusing on the draft and, and doing your prep work to figure out who's going to be the right guy when you guys pick? Yeah, it's it's tough, right? I mean, um, I think everybody kind of knows who's going to go first overall, but after that, it, um, it might be more of a toss-up. So, you know, you got to rely on information intel. Like, we got scouts uh, that we're going to have in place and people like that that got their boots on the ground and can tell you about somebody that, yeah, didn't play this summer, but played recently. Um, you know, and looking at the all and those kinds of players and Junior A and both the West and the East and Junior B even, you know, there's diamonds in the rough there too. So we're going to be casting quite a wide net and, um, you know, and, and we'll see what pans out. But it is tough. And But again, you got to sort of, okay, what do we need? What do we want our team to look like? Like if we want goals in transition, we need tranny D guys, you know. If we got enough to stay at home guys, now we got to add more to getting goals in that end. You know, like we, we saw that as actually one of the needs because – um, if you look at the goals from the D guys on New York, we're, we're one of the lowest in the league, I think, if not the lowest. Um, so that's a concern because, like I said, five on five, a lot of teams have good good enough systems that it's tough to score five on five. So where are the goals going to come from? Your power play and, and D training. So you got to make sure that you have um, the players that can do that and fulfill that. We don't want to do any colluding or anything like that, but obviously, as you said, the, the first overall pick seems to be a very locked-in selection. What's it going to be like if if everything falls into place and there's nothing changing up until that draft? What's it going to be like for this organization to add a player like Jeff T? Well, any organization would love to have him, obviously. Like he, he's a, he's a player that doesn't come around too often. He he's got it all. It. it it's amazing what he does at the size he is. I, I believe he's about 5'10", and between 160 and 175 pounds. And just the way he bounces around, you know, I've watched him in Brampton going to watch my nephew play. And, and just the things that he can do, you're just mesmerized. You're just like, how does this guy do it? And and he's hard to get a lick on. He's one of those guys that never takes a, a really good hit where you're, like, concerned for his size going, woo, you know, when there's a big boy on him. He can't handle it. He he just manages the shift just enough, and he's got great vision. You know, he's got great goal-scoring opportunity. He sees the floor well, real well, great lacrosse IQ. Um, he's got it all. He, he reminds me a lot of a, a Josh Sanderson. Like, he's he's able to see the floor that well. So, And at the size he is, he, he's he's doing unbelievable things. So, to be honest, any team would, would want him. And, uh, you know, we're in that mix as well, of course. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I was surprised you didn't say he reminds you of his dad. You know what? He, he does in a lot of respects, but I think even Dan would say that, that Jeff has a little bit more than even he did. Mm-hmm. Like, but Dan was that shifty guy too. And, and he would find the holes, but I wouldn't say Dan's a ball carrier. He's not the quarterback kind of guy. Like yeah. he was more like catch and shoot, um, get into those dirty areas. And I think Jeff does that. Plus he, can quarterback and see the floor and get other people involved. And um, yeah, so I think even Dan would admit that uh, Jeff is even a bit more than what he was. When I was speaking with Junior for uh, a mammoth thing that we did last week, we were just talking about how now the kids, they're start, we're starting to get that group of kids coming in the National Cross League, Tyson Gibson, for example, Jeff Teat, for example, are guys that their fathers played when we were playing, when you were playing, how cool is it to see those young kids that were biting your ankles on the turf when you were at shoot around back in the early 2000s? How cool is it to see those kids now being professionals and, and making a name for themselves? Well, it's really cool because you can walk up to them and say, I remember your dad. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And maybe there are stories that their dad never told them. So you can share those kind of stories with them too. And 
Um, but you really do see the lacrosse IQ in those kids as a little bit above. And it, that's kind of neat to watch. I mean, Dyson Williams is another name. And you got, um, you know, Whipper's kid, Dylan yeah. uh, Watson, is another up-and-coming player. And you got these guys now. And it's, and it's kind of funny because you're right. You watch them. They were on the turf at the end of shoot-around. They'd come on the turf and shoot against dad or pass with dad or be there during an interview you had. And, yeah, it, it is kind of neat to see that next generation of, of players coming up. We are a few weeks away from free agency and then the draft. You are going to be a busy, busy man, my friend. Congratulations on the gig. I'm so happy you're back in the last lacrosse league, Jim. It's been a long time coming. Uh, I look forward to this more often, and we'll do it again soon. That sounds great. I look forward to your next podcast. I really like your podcast. So, uh, yeah, course, I can't yeah, wait to your next guest. <laughs> All right. Well, you're going to be my next guest. My next guest after that will be somebody else. You have to just wait and see. Jim, I appreciate it as always, my friend. Stay safe and uh, have a great week. You too, Teddy. Say hi to the family. There is the general manager of the New York Riptide, Jim Scoop Veltman. As mentioned, he's got Dan Latissour as his head coach. He's now added on... Jason Crosby to work the front door and the offense, along with Pat Jones to run the backside and the defense. And that news came out earlier this week. And so the New York Riptide are slowly starting to build their master plan. And now they have to get together and start to do some scouting and starting to put some names on lists and start to use their resources to talk to some of these kids. And much like when we talked with Brad Self about how they're going to go about interviewing players and how they're going to go about deciding who's going to be that number one pick and who's going to be their second pick and so on and so forth, they're going to have to get creative, find as much film as they can, do as many Zoom chats as they can, and try to make sure that they're going to go ahead and get the right person, the right spot that fits perfectly into their team's plan because they don't want to be wasting picks right now. They don't have that luxury. They can't go ahead and draft a guy now that may not be ready right away. Sure, Jeff Teat going back to school, that's one of those that they can bank on. He's going to be with their club for the foreseeable future. But it's after that. they got to start getting guys that can come in right away to play they got to find some big, physical, fast defenders. They still need to figure out their goaltending situation. And truly, they need to find help all across the board. I'm super happy for Jim. I'm super happy for Laddie Cross and Patty Jones. I think they are all going to do incredible jobs. And I wish them the best of luck. It's not going to be easy. And kind of like Jim said, there's not going to be any punches pulled. They're not going to be hiding secrets from people. They need to be upfront create strong relationships and good communication lines so they can make some deals that not only benefit them, but benefit the team that they're dealing with. So very interested to see how they go about orchestrating this team and moving forward as an organization because all four, including Rich Lisk, making it five, all those guys want to win and they do not want to see this New York team go one in 12 again. As we move towards free agency, as I mentioned, there are some teams who are making some moves and locking up some of their key pieces. And in the past 48 hours, the Saskatchewan Rush have probably been the busiest of all the teams because they have some very integral parts that need to be signed. They put the franchise tag on Ryan Dilks. They signed Rubish to a one-year deal, and they've also signed Chris, uh, Chris Corbeil to a deal as well. So their three biggest assets on the defensive end have all been shored up. And that takes a lot of pressure off Bruce Urban and off Derek Keenan. They still have Travis Cornwall, who's a UFA and that's it for them. He's the only one left unsigned out of their UFA RFA list. Cause that's all they had to do. They only had four. Corbeil, Cornwall, Dilks, Rubish. Three of four locked up. Do they go ahead and get Travis Cornwall signed, or maybe do they move on from Travis Cornwall? The draft coming up and a lot of picks. 
Saskatchewan Rush have some leeway. Other names that have signed. The Roughnecks signed Tyler Burton to a one-year deal. Halifax locks up the Wiz, Jake Withers, to a one-year deal. Dan Craig signs a three-year deal with the Toronto Rock. But the biggest news from the Rock came today on Thursday when Challen Rogers, the captain, signed the longest deal in franchise history. A seven-year contract for Challen Rogers. That keeps him locked up in the red, white, and blue of the Toronto Rock right up until he's 32 when he becomes a UFA. Get him locked up. You don't have to worry. He can settle in as your captain for the foreseeable future, and you can build around him. I think Chown Rogers still has an incredible growth curve to go through. He's still, what, that makes him 24 and a half, 25 years old. He's still got a long way to grow and a long way to go. And he's only getting better. Halifax also signed Stephen Keogh to a one-year deal. Uh, we mentioned Rubish, Reed Reinholt, and Riley Hutchcraft get one-year deals in Toronto. Uh, Ethan O'Connor signed a one-year deal in Buffalo. Hostrauser signs in Toronto for a year. Uh, we mentioned Burton, Withers, Emila, Dan Craig. Bandit signed Spanger. The Mammoth signed Robert Hope to a tier deal. And they get Edwards and Carnegie on one-year deals. Those are huge to lock those guys up. San Diego Seals signed Merrill to a one-year deal. Halifax get David Brock for one year. And Latrell Harris, a one-year deal in Toronto as well. One more deal uh, that we should kind of talk about, um, and that's the Adrian Sorchetti trade from San Diego to New York in exchange for Tyson Bomberry and a fifth. So it's Sorchetti and a second for Bomberry and a fifth. Now, the key to this is that Sorchetti is a UFA. So if Rich Lisk can get Sorketti to sign in New York, then it's Sorketti in a fifth or in a second for Bombary in a fifth. If he doesn't sign and they lose him to free agency, then they just gave up Tyson Bombary in a fifth for a second round pick. Now I don't know if they saw Tyson Bombary in their future plans, so that's maybe maybe why they're able to move on from him. But I have a feeling. That Pat Merrill and Bill Greer wanted Tyson Bomberry because they are familiar with him in the time when they were coaching the Six Nation Arrows to a Minto Cup. And Bomberry, I believe, was their captain. So the optics kind of make sense. Now it's up to Veltman, Lisk, Latisseur, and those folk to convince Adrian Sorchetti to sign with the Riptide. He went to Hofstra. He kind of knows the Long Island area. It's something that I can see happening. It's something that, that I've kind of looked at as happening. But to get his playing rights gives them first crack to get him under contract. So hopefully they can get that done. If you want any more information on NLL transactions, head over to nll.com slash news slash transactions. Keep up with all of the ongoings. And as we get close to August 1st, which is just two days away, Stick to stay tuned to the Lacrosse Flash website as we will be breaking down all signings, trades, moves as we hit the free agent frenzy. Let's talk PLL because there has been some massive talking points in just a handful of day of games. And a lot of it stems, I truly believe, from the fact that now the game is on a national stage with more eyes on the sport than ever. And so now we are starting to get to the point where we are thoroughly critiquing everything we see in here. And the fact that players are now being mic'd up gives us even more fuel to the fire of how we break things down and how much we put onus on players to be um, role models, stand-up athletes, good people, and play the game the right way. The Mac Gaudette incident in those first couple of games where they had him mic'd up and he was chirping Blaze Reardon, everybody has said that to a player or goaltender at one point. I've told people they suck on a numerous occasions. I think the biggest reason that he got so much heat 
is because he was mic'd up and he said that during a live interview. I truly had nothing wrong with what Matt Goddett, Matt Goddett said. He didn't swear. He didn't go over the line. He was kind of joking about it and having some fun with it within the game. They were having success on Blaze Reardon. He was just trying to continue to get in Blaze's kitchen. I get that. And people wanted it to be the most dastardly thing anyone has ever done. And then a couple nights later, Garrett Eppel goes completely bonkers and tries to get revenge for every player that Matt Goddard may have ever insulted or chirped in his career by going after him while he was on the ground. And everybody on that Redwoods team the other night was going after Matt Goddard on the chrome. And I don't know why the Redwoods felt that they had to be the team that go after Gaudet. Sure, it was the first time Gaudet had played since he chirped on live TV. But there was no reason for the Redwoods to take such angst and such venom towards Gaudet. Every chance they got, they took a shot at him. Whether it was a slash to the leg, a late hit, or a vicious cross check to the head while he was on the ground. And if you haven't noticed, Matt Gaudette wears um, a very small brace around his neck. And it's because he's had concussion problems in the past. And it helps with his equilibrium and helps him control the effects of those concussions. So to see Garrett Apple take a run at him, and I believe the first hit Apple put on Gaudette was clean. But the cross-check to the head and then the, sep- the subsequent attempted cross-check were above and beyond the scope of lacrosse. And what he did was far agree- more egregious than what Godet said. And I didn't see as much vitriol towards Apple that I did see towards Godet. And that's wrong in my opinion. Because going after a player's head is far worse than chirping somebody. Garrett Apple was subsequently suspended for one game by the PLL. He's not going to appeal. And I respect that. I also respect uh, Nat St. Laurent, his head coach, because during the game, he kind of had his players back, which I would expect him to do. Mostly because he probably didn't see the full scale of what happened. But after he watched the game, after he saw what happened, and after the suspension came out, he took a different stance and he understood that what Apple did was unnecessary, unwarranted and doesn't need to be in our game. And so he stood by the suspension and Apple not appealing to the suspension is also a good look because in that situation, if you appeal that, it makes you look even worse. I truly hope that this doesn't take the PLL into some crazy situation where everybody's trying to get even at everybody for every little thing that gets happening gets said. Because when you are playing 20 games in 20 days and guys are putting their health, life, and family online by going into these bubbles, the last thing they need to worry about is someone trying to take a cheap shot at them. Chirping happens. There are right ways and wrong ways to go about getting back at a guy who chirps. Let's make sure we're doing it the right way. Grant Ament, Brian Costabile, two rookies having outstanding starts. If you haven't seen the cartwheel that Ament did the other day, I still don't know how he did it, but that is incredible athletic dexterity to get cross-checked and keep your balance and roll through a cartwheel onto your feet. But I've been truly enjoying what I've watched so far in the PLL. It's a much faster game than we've seen in field lacrosse ever before. And now the fact that it's on NBC and NBC Sports Gold, Gold, more fans are getting a chance to watch. And I hope you are watching and enjoying because it's lacrosse like we've never seen with players mic'd up, live interviews on the sidelines and everything that's going on. Embrace it, enjoy it, and let's keep it clean because... We don't need lacrosse to be on the biggest scale it's ever been on and then to have it turn to chaos. One of the last times lacrosse was on TSN in Canada was the 96-man cup 
And we all know what happened there between Six Nations and New Westminster. And lacrosse has rarely been on the national scale, especially Canadian lacrosse, has rarely been on the national scale since. It would be so detrimental to our sport if we got on this stage and all of a sudden we had a full-fledged field lacrosse bench-clearing brawl because someone did something asinine and stupid. Tempers are going to flare. Things are going to boil over. But let's just make sure we do things the right way. Because I think the PLL is allowing us to showcase and take the game to the next level, which we all hope will be the Olympics. And this leads us into our final topic of the day. You may have heard and been following the story with Iroquois lacrosse, World Lax, and the World Games. If you haven't, quick synopsis. The Iroquois Nationals are invited to all World Lax events. And World Lax used to be the FIL, Federation of, of International Lacrosse. It's now called World Lax. So it's indoor and outdoor men's, outdoor women's, U19 men and women's field lacrosse. It supports all of those competitions. And the goal of World Lax is to get the game of lacrosse on an international stage and in such good standing that it gets us into the World Games. And a couple years ago, women's lacrosse was at the World Games in Warsaw, Poland. First time lacrosse had ever been there. And a lot of people went up in arms because they started changing the rules of the women's game because they're trying to make the game of lacrosse A, international friendly, B, viewer friendly, C, Olympic friendly. But then a statement came out a couple weeks ago that said the Iroquois Nationals were not going to be invited to the World Games in Birmingham, Alabama, which I believe will be next year, because they are not recognized by the IOC and they are not an Olympic-formed nation. And this brought everybody to a roar. And I was outraged at the time because I didn't know the whole story. And I'm not sure everybody still knows the whole story. But what is going on is that the Iroquois Nationals, while a sovereign nation, aren't recognized by the International Olympic Committee. There are ways that they can be recognized by the IOC. And the biggest way to do that is now something that they are working on, which is creating an NOC, which is a National Olympic Committee. But there's caveats to that. They can't just form an NOC for lacrosse. From what I have been told by people who are on the inside and know what's going on, to have a certified NOC, you have to have five sports under your umbrella. It can't just be an NOC for lacrosse. So the Iroquois Nationals, or the Iroquois Nation as it were, if they are going to start an NOC, they're going to have to have a lacrosse team. They're going to have to have a track team. They're going to have to have um, soccer, whatever fencing, whatever other sports you are going to categorize in your NOC. They need five of them. It's not going to be easy. But I know everybody involved wants to make this happen because 2028 in Los Angeles is the goal for world lacks to have lacrosse in the Olympics. And I'm sure world sport would love to have the Iroquois nationals there, but they can't just make an exception. And yes, sure. There have been other ways where they've allowed refugee teams in and things like that. I don't know all the rules and regulations. What I do know is that the Iroquois nationals if they want to be in the Olympics, they need an NOC. Now, a lot of people have been saying, well, if the Iroquois Nationals aren't allowed at the World Games in Birmingham, Alabama, then Team Canada and Team USA should automatically boycott it. Well, 
what you may not understand is a boycott of the world games by the two, the highest ranking nations of that sport would be detrimental to the game of lacrosse getting in the Olympics. Because if all of a sudden Canada and USA say, you know what, you guys aren't going to let the Iroquois in, we're out. Well, everybody would love that because they're standing united with their Iroquois brothers. And I get that, the brothers and sisters, I get that. I completely do. It's only going to show that they can move on from us. They can say, you know what, if you guys are going to pull that, we don't need you in the Olympics. You guys can boycott all you want. Fine. Lacrosse just won't ever get in the Olympics. And if you're okay with that, fine. But I would rather us go through the process of getting the Iroquois Nationals certified by an NOC and take the proper steps to get them eligible for Olympic contention than backtrack all the work people have been doing to try to get us to this point. It absolutely sucks that the World Games, if lacrosse is going to be in it in Birmingham, Alabama, that the Iroquois Nationals won't be there. I get it. It's a hard pill to swallow. But we can't just take our balls and go home. We have to work with everybody, put the wheels in motion, and move forward. Again, we can't be pulling on the rope two different ways. We all have to get in line and we have to pull in the same direction. And I hope everybody involved, the Iroquois Nationals, and their push to form an NOC has all the success and they do it right. And we can all forget about this and move on because I would love to see the purple and gold in the Olympics playing for gold. But it's just not going to happen overnight, and it's not something that can be done with the snap of a finger. There is procedures and processes, and I know that everybody is going to go about this the right way. So let's just let cooler heads prevail. Let's not put carts in front of horses. Let's let those in charge do what they do best. And hopefully we can have the result at the end of the day that we are all hoping for. And that is the best of the best, playing for gold, playing for silver, playing for bronze on the biggest stage of them all. And that would be the Olympics. That'll about do it for another episode of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and NLL Radio. Thanks to Jim Veltman, our guest this week. We're trying to effort rhyme boil for next week and hopefully set up the PLL Championship Series semifinals. We'll keep you up to date on that. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and be excellent to each other.